Hello there and welcome to The Sound of the Loons, presented by Alina Health Orthopaedics. Callum Williams alongside Kindred D. St. Orbit here. Later on, we'll be joined by the voice of LAFC, Max Bretos, to help us preview the forthcoming opponent for Minnesota United, LAFC, on Sunday evening. First though, Kindred, a very good victory for Minnesota United against Chicago Fire. Perhaps the most convincing second-half display we've seen all season. Yeah, and I think the beauty of it is is that we knew that this is what the team is capable of from an offensive perspective, and sometimes you're just waiting for that to, to click, to find its form, to find its groove, and I think they were also a little bit motivated coming off the Open Cup game in the middle of the week, and I know it was a completely different squad, a, a different starting 11, but seeing that group go to a very difficult place to play in Madison and the conditions weren't great in the U.S. Open Cup, I think that kind of motivates those guys to go out there and do their part um, against Chicago Fire. And it was fun to see the offense get going. I love what Adrian Heath said at halftime, basically just saying, like, it's the battle of who can give the ball away more in the first half. Both teams, the possession wasn't great, but Minnesota was the team that found a way to get it done in the end with some beautiful finishes, some really nice goals, another shutout, which is key. And now you're going in a very tough, a tough place to play. LAFC who's sitting at the top of the table in the West right now. So what was the main difference then from the first half to the second for Minnesota? Because it was clear to me, at least, that the intent was there from the get-go. Reynoso hit the woodwork, had a goal call back for offside as well. It seemed as though Minnesota United found themselves at least in some sort of attacking rhythm and Chicago were, were unable to really have an answer for it. Well, and, and when I think back to the first half, to me, it looked like Minnesota was on the front foot right away. They had clearly an energy about them of wanting to get on the board first and take advantage of this Chicago team and continue the momentum from not only the Open Cup game, but also the previous game against Colorado in which they scored multiple goals for the first time all season. So to me, I didn't look at it going into that first half or throughout the first half as so incredibly poor, but I think part of it is the expectations for this club and for this group. But in the second half, to me, a lot of it was just about accountability. I mean, Adrian, he said at the at the halftime to those guys, like if you if you're not going to make the changes on the field yourself and, and switch this play around, I will make the changes for you, meaning substitutions and change of formation or tactics or whatever it might be may be coming. And that's not a threat by the coach, but at the same time, it's like, hey guys. We've got a really quality bench here and some pretty solid depth on this team and players that are itching to get out there and contribute. So if you can't find a way to get this done, we'll see if somebody else can. And I just thought that there was a, a sense of urgency in the play in the second half, but also a more intelligent sense of urgency when they were getting into that attacking third of the field. When they were winning the ball from Chicago and taking it off their foot, they weren't turning it over right away and more, uh, more of kind of an organized plan in the attacking third of the field when they had possession. So um, I just think, again, it's, it's that conversation, the locker room maybe of accountability and just knowing that they have the quality on this group. These are the kind of games you have to find a way to win and you have to find a way to, uh, you know, to score some goals. And I know Chicago's defense has been pretty good, but this was a moment Minnesota took advantage and capitalized on the mistakes that Chicago had in, in finishing some of those turnovers and, and poor wide Omsberg you know, ends up with a couple mistakes in that match for Minnesota United player who has been really solid for Chicago and Minnesota capitalized on those errors. Yeah, that Chicago fire backline came into that game with the best defensive record in Major League Soccer, had only conceded two all season. They conceded more in one afternoon in Minnesota than they had for the entirety 
of the season thus far. Minnesota United looked completely different, Kendra, when Adrian Heath indeed did make those change. And we saw the introduction of Abu Dunlade and Bongo Kutlis Longwane. Well, I love Longwane, first of all, and, and nothing against Dunlady, but we kind I kind of knew what he was capable of if he was playing at his best and he's coming to this maturation process and and um, looked a little bit more comfortable, Abu Dunlady has. So there's something about Longwane's energy when he comes off the bench and sort of this free-flowing nature of how he plays. And I like it when he's thinking but not thinking too much. And there's a certain dynamic aspect of the offense that he adds on that left-hand side. And again, one of the other switches he made was taking Luis Almaria off and putting Robin Lud centrally in a higher position up the field and more, more of a, a, a number nine or a false number nine or whatever we want to call it at this point. And there's also a, a comfort level there, I think, right now with Emmanuel Reynoso and Robin Lud playing in those spots and sort of the combination play, free-flowing nature, getting in the right spots, knowing how to feed off of each other. Um, and not to say that that won't come eventually with Luisa Maria, but I think it's been a little bit more forced with Luis up there, not as comfortable trying to say, hey, this is what we're supposed to do is score goals and make goals. And right now we're not doing it. So maybe putting a little bit too much pressure on themselves. There was something about the energy of Longwane on the left-hand side, Robin Lud up top centrally, and Ray sitting underneath. When they were playing together, you could just see a certain dynamic way of going about the attack. And it was fun to see. And uh, I, I don't know. I mean, again, this is this just asks the questions, right, of Adrian Heath. When you have this much quality, you have Fragapane that's back in the mix as a starter um, on that left-hand side. But to me, it looked more dangerous, more free-flowing, with more pace. And maybe that's the big difference. Not that Fragapane is slow and not that Luisa Maria is slow. But when you have more pace in Abu Dhanladi and Fongwani in there, to contribute and really ask the questions of the back line and the, and the holding midfielders of the opposition. Could, could that be something that we see going forward from the get-go from a starting position and maybe not uh, a boo starting, but I could see Longwane in, in that starting role with Robin. And then you just got to figure out how Luis and Ray are going to work together, but it was fun to watch. So that remains almost the million dollar question really, doesn't it? In terms of what is the approach for this upcoming game against LAFC? Because it's, never easy going there on the road. It's more than acceptable to play a certain day and a certain way. And, and what I mean by, by that, when I say that, is um, it's okay to be direct in that situation. I don't think it's completely and utterly necessary to, to play through the lines, especially with LAFC, uh, with what I'm assuming will go with a regular 4-3-3 as they have done for the majority of the season. It's difficult to move the ball through the middle of the park. One would assume the wide players would be vital. One would assume perhaps the overlapping fullbacks would be even more so. So what, what would you assume then, with all of that and your thoughts, what would you assume the approach would be? And indeed, what would your approach be heading into this game at Bank of California Stadium? Well, I think the way LAFC is playing right now that you have to try to, you, you have to be able to capitalize on those moments, just as we had talked about with Chicago Fire. If you're going to force a turnover and you're going to win the ball in, in positions where you can make something of it. So let's say Minnesota high presses a little bit. Let's say they force a turnover in the attacking third of the field, the defensive third of the field for LAFC. You have to feel good about the person that's winning the ball over or winning the ball back, that they're going to be able to finish that chance. And right now for me, 
that's a player like Robin Lud, who we know has been Mr. Consistency this year. He's been a little up and down, but I think when he's on the field and he knows how to get it on that left foot, he scored a couple times with his right and put away his opportunities and his chances because you're going to have to capitalize on those moments with LAFC sitting at the top of the Western Conference. I think the pace could be really beneficial with Longwani on the left-hand side. And then um, I, I don't know about Abu on the right yet. I'm not sold on that. And I'm not saying that Luis Maria is, is out of the picture here, but you've got to go with what's working and you've got to go kind of with your hot hand. But to me, it's more about, is there a fragility with sitting Amaria? Is there something about if you don't start him, how he's going to react, how he's going to feel? I don't know Luis's personality enough to know how he might respond to that. But ultimately, it's about winning games and it's about getting the job done on the road and finding a way to get the three points. So I think that with the fullbacks, you got to stick with, again, familiarity and consistency. And that was something that Ray Reynoso hit on last week in his interview. He said part of his struggles early on has kind of been these rotating fullbacks. And sometimes I don't think we or I didn't connect the dots between the chemistry of the fullbacks and what Ray is trying to do in the middle of the field. I've always thought about the fullbacks and the chemistry with the players directly in front of them um, with the midfielders and how they learn each other and combine and who's going to tuck in and who's going to make the overlapping runs. But Ray made the point that it's been hard too with the rotating fullbacks to really find that groove and that form about when you're going to check the ball, get the ball at your feet, when you're going to play in behind where the fullback wants you to be, where Ray is going to be to receive the ball. So again, consistency. If you can put Kamar Lawrence on the left-hand side, O'Neal Fisher gets another start on the right. That would be how I would go. I like O'Neal Fisher from an attacking perspective. We know Hassani Dotson is out. Roman Metzenier, to my knowledge, is not going to be available for the game. Uh, but I haven't seen an official word on that. And then you go into Bossy and Boxall in the middle again. So I think there's a consistency in the back line. I thought Kamar Lawrence had some really good services on that left-hand side. We've seen him one time a ball from distance and really whip it into that back post. So I think that Bongoukle Longwane deserves to start on the left. And I think that Robin needs to be on the pitch. I just don't know where right now because I don't know Luis's personality enough to understand what it might be if they didn't start him up top. And I know that's a tough one and I'm not really giving a super strong opinion there, but I think Robin and Ray have a chemistry that you can't deny and it's more effective when Robin is on the field in front of him or alongside him but maybe without Luis in that space up top if that makes sense absolutely the one thing which is clear is that Adrian Heath has options for the game at LAFC on Sunday for sure uh, before we head to break then Kendra the, the one thing that is great to see I, I'm struggling to think of the words in terms of how wonderful it is that this is the case now is that Emmanuel Reynoso is back to the Reynoso that we all know and love. He started, for a player of his standards, uh, a little slow, to say the least. But over the last couple of games, he looks as if he's really gotten himself into the game. He's gotten a hold of the ball a lot more. He's not given the ball away in those deep positions as much. It seems now as though he looks a lot more comfortable. And you and I were learning over the course of the last couple of weeks, perhaps the reason why he may have been slightly uncomfortable is because his family weren't in Minnesota. Now they are. And that has made a huge difference to Emmanuel Reynoso. Well, and I think it goes back to the the point of these guys, you know, any athlete is not, they're not robots. They have feelings, they have emotions, they have off the field stuff going on. And it's not always one of those things where you can just step between the white lines and then all of a sudden you switch all that off 
and then you perform at the highest level. I mean, they are human beings first and foremost. And I think with Reynoso here with his family, his wife and his daughter coming over and we saw them arriving at the game together. I mean, I don't even know what that's like arriving at the game and you see all these other guys rolling in with their kids, with their significant others, their wives, whatever it might be. And just seeing that sort of um, togetherness and that support system is really what it's about. And so for them, for him to have that, I think it makes a big difference. And to, you know, to go home at night and um, go home to your family, especially whether it's a win or a loss, a good game or a bad game, but having that support system there, I think makes a big difference. And so having that here for Reynoso was fun to see. And, and I, I'm pretty sure his daughter might have been on the pitch at the end of the game or near the end of the game um, when with all the guys and and that, you know, the stuff they do is scoring goals. So it's awesome. It's great to see. I hope it continues um, for better or for worse. Like I just said, it's a support system. And I think it's fun to see Ray kind of back to his old fun loving self on the pitch and hopefully just not putting too much pressure on himself and uh, just performing and enjoying enjoying the ride as long as uh, they're scoring goals and winning. Okay, well, at the moment, Minnesota United are scoring goals and winning, and Emmanuel Reynoso is back to his best. Next up, it's away to LAFC. After the break, we'll feature that game with the voice of LAFC, Matt Bratos. injury takes you out of the game it's time for your team to step up at alina health orthopedics you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers with convenient locations virtual options and an app that gives you 24 7 access to your records test results and care team you're always close to the care that you need schedule now at alinahealth.org slash ortho And a very warm welcome back to The Sound of the Loons, presented by Alina Health Orthopaedics, Callum Williams alongside Kendra D. St. Aubin. And now, welcoming in the unmistakable voice of LAFC, <laughs> Max Bretos joins us uh, from Miami, I believe. Max, uh, look, it's great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. This has been almost impeccable from LAFC, this start of the campaign. They've won seven of their nine Major League Soccer games. They look absolutely wonderful under Steve Chirandolo. What have you made of them so far? But what is your assessment of the season? Well, it's been a good one. And I will say when it comes to unmistakability, if that's a word, when I hear you and Kendra, I know it's a Minnesota United game. And I think that's exactly mm. what uh, a local broadcast would want to sound. So they're very lucky to have you guys. It's uh, Look, uh, last year was just very, very difficult and not making the postseason. And, you know, I always like preface this a bit because with the coaching change, you know, Bob Bradley was... But what's different about this team is Bob Bradley didn't have a full deck ever. We would go to training and coaches would be filling in so that they could scrimmage. The numbers were so thin. Left backs were playing defensive midfield. Midfielders were playing striker. It, you know, they were, they were really raiding the Las Vegas Lights roster, which they don't really do that frequently as much now. Uh, Las Vegas Lights, obviously, their uh, their feeder team. That's also a USL club. Um but uh, it was constant and it was always an uphill battle. And, you know, I, it was uh, looking back, it's amazing. We, we kind of went through that. And obviously, John Thorrington and with the appointment of Steve Trimble wanted to make something or two things very clear. They wanted to add the depth. 
so that that wouldn't be an issue. And you go to training now, even when there's uh, international games, they can run a practice. They had a, that international, the last World Cup qualifier, qualifier cycle, and they have bodies and there is uh, there's a competitiveness. And obviously that's a huge part in uh, getting your team better when you can have really good trainings. And the second aspect is for the longest time, uh, they didn't have an MLS identity and I don't know if they that wasn't really uh, that was wasn't really by design. It just was the way it felt. But this year, they made it a priority to go out and get guys that were a uh, longstanding servants in Major League Soccer, and b many of them have had success here. And uh, it's proven to be a very clairvoyant decision because it's it's proven on on two tiers to make a huge difference. And there's because and there's also feeling. You know, as good as this team has looked, there's still a very, very high ceiling. So uh, very exciting times, as you know, to cover a team when they're winning and playing like this, it's a world of difference. When you look and you talk about an MLS identity, why do you think that maybe wasn't the case in the first couple years? And did it take sort of the struggles of last season to realize that, hey, MLS veterans and guys that are used to playing in this league, is there's a real value to that. It's not just about high-priced international players coming over and joining. Yeah, and I think uh, they always wanted to have an identity of a winner LAFC, but they wanted to have an exciting, uh, you know, that was before anyone was appointed as coach or any players were signed. They said, this is the way LAFC is going to play. This is the way um, we're going to look as a team, uh, certain stylistic elements. So I think at that initially afforded them to, to go very young. So the MLS players they had were unproven, to coupled with obviously Carlos Vela and then a lot of these, uh, some South American players. It was a group that worked. Some European guys uh, like Laurent Simon, Andre Porta, who came over for a cup of coffee. And I think they always thought that uh, they knew that MLS experience was a, a big factor. But I think last season when they, when they dipped and they saw clubs like Colorado have so much success, with that core group of guys that, that know this league, because you, you hear it from players that are, are familiar with MLS all the time. You know, without sounding cliche, but the travel and the switch in temperature and all these things that you have to deal with, it really need, requires a unique skill set. There's no wiggle room on that. You have, if you, you will find success if you know what lies ahead. And now you have a group of guys that are there that, that know that and who can pass that on to guys who may not. Max, I'm sorry, pal. I've, I've got to do this to you and ask about the, the situation with Carlos Vela because it, it seems as though he'll be sticking around, reports <laughs> suggesting that he, he has indeed or is about to sign a new contract to remain at LAFC. If that is the case, the club must be delighted. Yes, and yeah, the reports are there. We haven't, uh, the club has not confirmed anything. I, I, I see those reports and I know when I see them on Twitter, there's a temptation to retweet it, but you know, I don't until you see it from a, an account from the club. But, you know, when you see enough of that uh, and you couple that with how happy and how well Carlos is, is playing and his health is there, uh, it's a slam dunk. There's always, I just, you know, and I don't know anything about these reports because there's, there's two things to me that when we have these conversations, first and foremost, Carlos Vela is not going back to the Mexican national team. That's, uh, everyone goes, maybe he's going to get called a Tata. It's, it's not really a Tata decision. It's a Carlos decision. He's, that chapter in his life, he's closed. He's moving on started a family, wants to be a really good professional and dedicate himself to the club. He never told me that. That's just what I see. And the second thing is that obviously his wife is from the Basque region. And there was a thought about going back to Real Sociedad where he had so much uh, interest. And there's just this, these other conversations about going back to Mexico, which 
Uh, if you know Carlos, he likes his privacy and he likes not having a microphone in space or having to ask so many questions. He just wants to play it and he deserves that. He deserves to be happy. He gets that in Los Angeles. You see a freedom. You see him over uh, going some of his social media. He's there at the, uh, the Indian Wells tennis tournament and going to Las Vegas, all these places that are creature comforts from living in Los Angeles. So he seems really happy. So I just, at his age, going back to Spain, I think would be a, a lot of baggage. And going to me back to Mexico is a non-starter because of everything I just said. So I, I bring it all, there was some doubts that maybe he wouldn't come here. We'll, we'll still see. But with those two parts in tow and seeing his, his happiness about being in LA, I always thought this would be the place. Obviously the money's got to be right. So hopefully they, they work that out. Why did it take so long then? And again, this isn't confirmed yet. This isn't official, but everyone's like, oh, there's no chance. I and mean, I shouldn't say everyone, but I know Cal and I talked about it. We're like, oh, there's no way he's coming back. Like you would have done it by now. It's it, we're almost into May. That's like, true. And, and, and Kendra, I'd be lying to you if there weren't those moments where I was like, all right, we're kind of getting late in the game. I think uh, it, it was a part where they wanted to get the deal right. It's, I don't know the, the numbers. <laughs> I'm always talking about stuff that hasn't happened. So I, I always have to be careful, but you want it to be right for both players there, for player and club. So I think they wanted to, to handle it pretty carefully. I'm, I'm sure Carlos Vela thought about it. I'm sure he kicked the tires on some things. It is odd that it, 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 we're going to the wire on that, but uh, I guess good things happen to those who wait, and hopefully everyone's happy. Well, one individual that seems to be very happy at the moment, Max, is Christian Arango, who just seems to be scoring goals for fun. He has been a revelation since coming to LAFC. We're assuming he'll get the start over the weekend against Minnesota United. How has he changed LAFC since coming in from an attacking point of view? Well, he almost salvaged last season, which as bleak as it was, the, this glut of goals that he was able to provide. And, and in his case, an experienced player, you know, when they went to the South American market, it's for guys 21 and under, Brian Rodriguez, Diego Rossi, Chiqui Palacios, Jose Cifuentes, all very young. And you could see the adjustment period, but he was, you know, ready to play. Uh, 26 coming over from uh, Millonarios in Bogota. So uh, it was actually interesting this season because he had some fitness issues. So it took him a while to get started. He did it. He only started one of the first four or five games. And uh, Mahala Apoku was kind of getting the start, mainly because of how well he has performed in training. But it was certainly this last game against Cincinnati where you see the Chicho from last season. He scored goals in back-to-back -back games. But you see the fitness is kicking in. He's beating guys. He's going at fullbacks and getting around them. And uh, that's just part of why everyone's very excited about LAFC because there was a few loose ends that haven't quite clicked in. And he was one of them. But more than ever, I saw that in the last, the last game against Cincinnati that it looks like he's close back to 100% fitness. So if you're a fan of soccer but maybe have never watched LAFC and you're going to tune into the game this weekend, who would you say – fans have to keep an eye on aside from a Carlos Vela, because if, even if you've not watched a second, you know, that name for the most part, who is the next kind of piece to this puzzle that if they didn't have it, things would not be going well. Well, there's a, there's a nice balance to the team. Um, obviously Kellen Acosta has been so consistently good, but I'll give you a name that to me has been the most improved player by a long shot. And I know Callum, you got to see how well he did. Grant it was a U.S. Open cup game against a USL team, but pretty good one in Orange County, and that's uh, Diego Palacios, who, based on all accounts, Steve Cherundolo, who was a fullback, a right fullback, 
has really taken him under his his arm as a as a fullback, although he's on the left. And you can see the difference. His his play has gone through the roof. He couldn't. He was really struggling to connect across. He connects across one out of every two and a half, three balls that he plays. He takes on defenders. He's becoming a better defensive fullback. Uh, seeing what the progress uh, that he's done is a guy that now when opponents prepare, they have to keep him in mind. And one thing that I've seen develop in the last couple of games is how he and Vela, Carlos plays on the right a lot, but Vela, when he comes on the left and those two start combining, there's these moments where you kind of hold your breath as they break down these defenders. So, you know, Brian Rodriguez has been on the mend with a hamstring injury. He would be my answer normally. I think he's been great, even though he hasn't scored a lot of goals, but he uh, he's based on what we hear from his teammates. He's one of the most, if not the most popular player, which is incredible on that uh, LAFC roster. But Chiki Palacios, to me, is the guy who's been consistently good and has gone from being good to really, really good. Max, the salary cap and, and the, way that the, the way that the club have managed it, the salary cap management, I guess is perhaps the right term, has, has been impeccable from LAFC. When you look at the, the roster and how deep it is, we, we in Minnesota often say we're so fortunate because we have an amazing roster and it's very deep, perhaps the deepest it's ever been. But when I did that Open Cup game with LAFC uh, last week or whenever it was, and the team that, that Steve Chirondo had put out was allegedly a, a weakened team. I couldn't believe how strong the team was. And, and as you quite rightly say, look, with all due respect, it was against Orange County from USL Championship, who champions of that league, by the way, so no pushover. How, how has John Thorrington been able to manage the salary cap and do what he has done with this team? Because some of the other players that you wouldn't consider first team, you mentioned Apoku, who, who seems to be a revelation. Even players like Danny Musovsky at times looked like a world beater. How has John Thorrington done it? Well, yeah, a lot of help. And I think the scouting department, it's, it's two tiers. So John, what he was able to do over the last couple of years as he accrued a lot of allocation money. And people are losing their patience because they traded... Mark Anthony Kay uh, for allocation money, a, a big sum. Uh, Walker Zimmerman. Uh, they also traded uh, Corey Baird to a lesser degree, but they got, I think, 750000 of allocation money. So they got big totals, and they were stockpiling. And everyone's going, what are you going to do with it? And then, bang, start of the season, Crapo, Acosta, uh, Ilya Sanchez, all these guys. Or I think Ilya, I have to check on Ilya Sanchez. I don't know, maybe he was out of contract, but. A lot of these guys that came in that they use the allocation money and boom, he put together a team. So obviously they have a, they're going to have a payroll and they're going to have to manage it, but they've used the apparatuses that are there for major league soccer to get things under said cap. Uh, the other part that, as you pointed out with Danny Masofsky and Apoku and Mamadou Fall, who to me is on an, an incredible trajectory. The offers are going to be coming in because he's improved so much. He's eliminated the mistakes that he made a season ago. And then you couple that with the athleticism. Uh, this is a, a superior talent. But that's the scouting department that identified these guys. You know, Mark Anthony Kay was another guy like that that they found in USL. So uh, they're scouting. I mean, I don't know exactly how it works, but they get it right. And Masofsky... You know, I was talking to some of the folks at training the other day. How are they going to keep him? Because he's a starting striker in MLS, and he's going to want to start. He can score 10, 15 goals, in my opinion. That was an LAFC-type discovery. So they're, they're getting guys to buy into that, and they are obviously casting a very wide net and finding some good talent. That's available to everyone, but I, I've been amazed at how effective they have 
in that scouting department, which are players that everyone can compete for, but LAFC are finding. So, uh, I mean, you're, they're checking everything off the list. Well, and we always talk about, you know, people talk about goal scoring, goal scoring, goal scoring. That's where the big money is spent. But you guys have struggled meeting LAFC to find a goalkeeper that was going to keep the ball out of the net, regardless of how many goals your front line was scoring. Is Crapo the answer for you guys? And defensively, when you look at some of the pieces of the, uh, an, uh, a veteran in Segura or bringing in Hollingshead, even though he gets forward quite a bit, some other players that have helped defensively, is Crapo the answer for LAFC and goal? You guys have done your homework on this team. <laughs> this is really good. You guys know his LAFC as well as I do. Uh, it's re- remarkable because it's been such an issue with goalkeepers, there's so many guys that were just a little bit away and they needed those guys to make that one big save per game. Uh, Crapo has done it. Uh, he's, he's a, he's a leader. He communicates well with those guys. Uh, he's just a lovely guy too. And you know, the MLS campaigner type, that's the kind of guy that uh, gets in here and uh, knows how it operates. Certainly from a Canadian perspective. And I think the playing for the white caps, no one was more challenged during COVID than that club had to play in Portland, had to play in Salt Lake. So uh, he's ready for anything. But, you know, there was a game last season where I think he had 10 saves. And Mark Dos Santos, who was on the staff, again, ex-Whitecaps coach, uh, he was just praising Craig Pongo. That's your guy. And that sign-off by him, coupled with all the LAFC fans remembering that game where he made 10 saves, made it an easy sell. He's already become one of the two or three most popular players for the club. Because uh, it's so secure, it's a sensation we've never had with LAFC. Well, next time you see Marco Santos, give him our best, will you, Max? He likes us for some reason. We don't know why. He's always been very good at us. So say hello to him. <laughs> he's, for a, us. he's a, he's, I will certainly do that. He's a great dude, and he always carves out time for us. And I always, I, I, he's, I always give him grief. I go, what happened if Canada and Portugal get drawn in the same group? He goes, no problem, <laughs> Portugal, Portugal. <laughs> go, good. All right, I'll keep that between us. Even though I just announced that to all our there we go. <laughs> uh, just one or two more before we let you go, pal. Um, for, from an outsider's point of view, what have you made of Minnesota United so far this campaign? I, I've been really impressed in how they've kind of grown into the season. And, uh, you know, obviously the goalkeeping situation there is reminiscent uh, with what LAFC is doing. But, you know, finding some stability with uh, St. Clair, obviously a young keeper with a very, very high, high ceiling. And We'll see how that goes. And I've been impressed how so many different guys step up in games uh, with regards to scoring goals. With a guy like Reynoso, who had a slow start, but has really turned it on. I mean, it wasn't the Reynoso early on, but then you've seen that certainly come into view. It's a, it's a team that's overcome. I, I love how resourceful they are. Um, they have a situation and they go after it. And it's a club that I, I really enjoy following because there's ambition there. And... Uh, a great fan base, a great stadium. You know, you, you get very, you know, very reminiscent of what how the LAFC build has been going. It's a really good, it's a great team. I, I think this is a rivalry that people get into. Uh, there have been some famous moments between these two clubs, and that is uh, why this is going to be highly anticipated as well. Uh, there's so many good guys. I mean, Delani, I like a lot. There's, it's a good, it's a good team. Yeah. I mean, Mason Torres not on the roster anymore, so we can't get any of those wonder strike uh, goals from <laughs> uh, this time around, but that- it, one, one last one for me about um, sort of the change and maybe the style, the culture, the vibe around training with Chirundolo versus Bob Bradley. 
what have you made of the just the overall feel of the group? And I know you, you work for the club, so we're not going to get delved too deep into it. But just what's your overall change? Uh, that's good. First of all, I cannot. Bob was was absolutely first class with me. Every time we needed something, he would provide it. Uh, he built this team at uh, a uh, such a pace where they became an elite club, a, a playoff team competing for a spot in MLS Cup from season one. He's got an incredible eye and a wealth of knowledge that very few, if any, have uh, in this league. Bob has a certain way about him, I think. And there's uh, in a season like last, I think it, it could take a toll when not if you didn't have a full deck. It's different. I don't know what's the right way, but I think the change, granted with eight new players coming in as well, um, gives it a very interesting dynamic when I see it at training. Steve approaches it very differently. Uh, he's got so much credibility, which helps him and. You know, people forget that, yeah, he was in Germany for 14 years, and but then he was also there eight years, you know, cranking away his coaching license and doing that in Germany, which is the cradle of the best managers, coaches we have right now. So that's all in his in his head. But there is some, there's something very uh, real, uh, accessible to him. We have a, a coach's show with him, and we talk about food and music, and he loves it. Movies. It, it's very disarming because uh, I, I've, I've conversations with so many coaches, and I know there's a certain way about being a coach, and you have to keep things close to your vest. And I think it's tried and tested, and I, and I think it's 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 what it's the way it should be. But Steve's different. Maybe if he finds a bit of a rough patch, that will change. Uh, where, but right now, it's been a delight to be around and. I know during the international break, they were they were like having some very light practices and the laughter and it's great to hear. But uh, hopefully it's got some staying power. But all in all, it's 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 a it's a fun club right now to be around. The incomparable Max Bretos. Thank you so much for joining <laughs> us, mate. Really appreciate it. And uh, a, uh, a big thank you uh, to you for listening at home. As always, a big thanks to Kindred D. St. Aubin our uh, executive coordinating producer, Andrea Correa, as well. So, all eyes now focusing on Sunday evening. Minnesota United away to LAFC, 9pm Fox Sports 1. And, of course, on Score North Radio in Minnesota and the Twin Cities. From all of us here, we'll see you on Sunday.